Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Ron from the Box and One podcast. We have another great episode for you this week. We're joined by Blake Murphy from The Athletic, and we take a look at the Raptors' season to date, player development, and the upcoming G League season. We really hope you enjoy this one. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel and podcast for more great content. Let's get into it. Hey, what's up, Boxing One World? Uh, it's Ron here again for another episode. I'm joined today by Azam, and uh, we've actually upgraded on Primate. Normally, Primate's here. He may actually join us midway uh, midway through the episode. He's he's got some work uh, work engagements that he's got to get to first. But uh, we're joined by uh, Blake Murphy, uh, Raptors writer from the Athletic. Blake, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. No, thank thanks for joining us. Um, like like I said before, we went on air. Like, uh, reached out shot my shot and uh you know it, it worked out so glad to have you here honestly we're 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 really thankful because uh just love to pick your brain about about raptors related stuff so guys if, if you haven't guessed this is going to be a very raptors centric uh centric show uh a wrestling as well maybe a little yeah yeah blake i, I know you're a new japan guy right yeah yeah, yeah so you know, maybe, uh, not quite as uh since wrestle kingdom i haven't caught up w- with much but i'll i'll swoop back in for new japan cup in march you know, it'll it'll have to scratch the itch of March Madness this year because I think March Madness will have a, a different vibe. So New Japan Cup, it is. Yeah, yeah, okay. So we'll we'll maybe throw some stuff at the end, just some some broad stuff, nothing too specific, and maybe some uh, some of the uh, Royal Rumble results. Uh, just what happened with uh, with Edge winning. We'll uh, pick your brain about that. I know you're sure. you're a wrestling guy, and I always appreciate the uh, wrestling references in your in your articles. Um, so let, let's let's start with uh, last night's game. Uh, Fred Van Vliet. Huge game, fifty-four points. Um, it it was it was nice to see. I mean, I the last time that happened was what uh, Demar scoring fifty-two. Yeah, fifty-two against the Bucks on uh, New Year's Day, two thousand eighteen. I remember that one because like no media showed up because it was New Year's Day, and uh, this was like before the Bucks had started to get really good. Um, so 2017, 2018, that was like I, I think there were a couple games over five hundred at that point. And like even the crowd was kind of sleepy. And then I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting to look back and, and see which game because I wasn't at T Ross's fifty-one. Um, you know, I certainly wasn't at Charlie V's forty-eight or anything like that. But uh, Demar's fifty-two in a tight overtime win with a crowd versus Fred dropping fifty-four with nobody there is uh, it's going to be weird to compare them after the fact. Yeah, it was. It, that's that's the thing about everything. Like I was, I was trying to pull together some highlights even a couple of weeks ago of just plays of the week, just to see if we can get something for our, our YouTube channel. And just some of the buzzer beaters that were hit, and like the same thing with yesterday. Like it, it's kind of anticlimactic to see the arena without, like in some cases with some fans, but like you just don't get the same reaction. I don't know if the players, like I'm sure it's been covered in in some of the media, the post game media scrums, but like it can't be the same for the players. Yeah, I mean, I think in the moment it's probably good. Like you guys remember OG's big shot and the the way he yeah. got mobbed, and even Fred when he got to fifty two, you know, collapsing in Pascal's arms. Like you get moments like that. But yeah, you look back at like Dame's sixty one point game, and like they're not being crowd noise to go along with that. Like like Twitter has almost taken the place of that, where it's like I'm a little bit more on my phone than I'd normally be, and it's the reaction of everyone on there that that's kind of driving it. Um, Dame even last night did, doing that again, or, or that Wizards uh, finish against the Nets. Like, 
yeah, without although the Wizards won, the crowd probably would have left by that point. <laughs> so <laughs> might not have been a crowd for that one. I, I don't remember the the crowd reaction to the the Mo Pete Michael Ruffin uh ending like that. Um but yeah, it's uh it's weird, man. I, I don't know I don't know how much it changes the the moment to moment, but I think when you look at you know, when you zoom out and look at stats like blowouts are more prevalent around the league this year, uh and, and like not even by a small amount, like once you're down 15, the Raptors, the Raptors being the exception, um, you know, once you're up 15 or down 15, you, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of over lately. So I, I don't know if maybe that's the crowd effect where it's just harder to dig out of a hole and find that, that extra energy reserve or what, but I definitely noticed a difference. Also the, the pumping crowd noise is just like, I was at two games in Tampa. It's so awkward. It's gotta be weird for the players. It's interesting. You mentioned that, uh, not really Raptors related, but uh, I was watching the Premier League games today, and it seems like all the away teams won. Like Liverpool lost second game in a row at home, which rarely happens. I think it's been like a few years since that has happened. Um, so, yeah, a lot of away teams. So I, I guess there is a crowd factor that they talk about. Uh, there's definitely something to do with it. For sure. And we're seeing that across sports. Like we're seeing uh, a lessened home field advantage in football and a lessened home ice advantage in hockey. And, um, you know, it's it's weird if you look at kind of these two game series that we've had. That's where the home court advantage has kind of shown up, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like you think that would balance it more in the favor of being even or toward the visiting team. Um, Obviously, a small sample this early still. But, yeah, I think you're seeing it across sports is, is that. Whether it's the crowd, whether it's, uh, you know, um, not sleeping or like in the case of the Raptors, like you're in Tampa, you're not even home. Um, so, yeah, uh, breaking news on the pod, by the way, Masai, uh, Malachi Flynn just got sent down to the 905. Wow, this, this is this is huge. That's, that's actually one of the things that we wanted to cover. So um, we might as well get into it right now. Um, I'm like, I'm thinking that's probably a good move for him. Like, I, I, there's I guess there's two ways to look at this, right? Because. You have the. Would you prefer to prefer him to be learning under Fred and Kyle and kind of being on the road and picking their brains, or do you think it's more and more important for him to actually be getting live game minutes? Yeah, I, I'm of the mind that you need to play, and, and I know that this is how the Raptors feel, and this is how Nick Nurse feels, and how they've um, rolled out their development system in the past. Now. Ideally, it works like it's worked the last five years where Mississauga's right down the street and you almost don't even have to make those decisions, right? Like you can you can get to Saga for a Thursday game and then be in Toronto for Friday, Sunday series or whatever. Or you can, you know, some of the guys even did double headers and stuff like that. Um, so that's the ideal scenario. Uh, but I think, yeah, forced to choose. The reason Jalen Harris was the only person who went down initially is, you know, look around the league and see how quickly rosters have gotten thinned out, right? And, and if you suddenly have four guys in contact tracing and it's going to require a quarantine period to call Malachi Flynn back up from the 905, uh, you know, maybe when OG and Norm and Makar are all out, you can't really do that, right? Um, now that Norm's back, that probably is what freed up uh, Flynn to go back down. But I don't even think you'll see, you know, I don't think you'll see Watanabe go down while he's still in the rotation. I don't think Paul Watson would be the other guy who's like kind of fringy where if OG's back, maybe they send him down. Uh, to get some reps because he's only playing like a minute at a time. Um, but even then, like you need, you know, you look at a, a game like that Orlando game and you don't want to play your your main guys the last three or four minutes of a 20-point game. You know, you need to have guys on the bench to throw out there. You can't 
you can't, uh, you know, just play only two or three guys. So I think this year more than ever, the, the NBA depth is a real thing. Um, but I think it's good, man. I think the if you can trust any organization to get the most out of this situation, the Raptors are among them. Um, they've obviously used the G League very well. And I, I think guys like Flynn and Harris, um, you know, Harris is more like game-wise, he's got to tweak his game and develop his game to get to the next level. Flynn, it's just, you know, point guards need time, right? Like, like Fred Van Vliet is this amazing undrafted development story, and he barely played in the NBA his first year. And he started the year as the third point guard because DeLon was hurt, and he still wasn't playing it. And then he was going up and down. By the end of the year, you know, he wasn't with the 905 for all of their finals run because he was NBA depth. Um, but even a guy like him who comes in, he's so smart and, and blows away expectations. Like, he needed time and he needed reps. So, I think this will be great for Flynn. I, I think the G League is uh, maybe more important for for point guards making the transition than any other position. So just to follow up on that, so the G League this year is in a bubble um, starting in about a week's time, right? So when you talk about pro sports in a bubble, you saw NHL and NBA last year. The point was to get through to the season at the end because there's an end goal in sight. You've got to finish the season and have a champion declared and everything. How, how do you see that situation with a development league like uh, the G League, right? Because the end result is not truly to win a championship, it's the development of your players. So how, how do you go about managing that? Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of things you look at, right? And I think the first one is definitely player development. You need opportunities to get guys reps. And if you're teams like the Raptors and Spurs and Heat who find guys out of the G League and turn them into NBA guys – you know, you need to see these guys playing. Um, you know, I, I I personally think there's a bit of a, you know, moral imperative on the league side too, that they made this decision so late that you have to give guys a place to play, right? Like you can't drag it on and then be like, hey, you skipped out on Europe uh, this year to play in the G League where you're close to the NBA. We're not doing it. Um, you know, the opt-out was a, a happy medium, I guess, to let some teams out. Um, but I think, no, on top of player development, it's uh, – you know, one of the biggest draws of it might be that there is a quarantined pool of players available to get called up, right? So you've got, there are 18 teams there, 17 of them will have guys that NBA teams can call up. You know, your roster gets wiped out uh, for contact tracing, you have an open roster spot, or you're a team like the Magic that has a lot of injuries and you get a hardship exemption and you can add an extra 10 day. You have a pool of guys there who, you know, normally you'd be playing from the G League or wherever, but now you at least have the certainty that, hey, they've been in the bubble, they've been getting tested every day, um, you know, they're in game shape, which is important too, but but right now, the biggest thing is, like, this is a what should be a healthy pool of players to potentially call up. So I think that's that's probably going to carry more weight than, than winning a championship, and, and, you know, I don't know that in 15 games anyone's going to dramatically change their, their career outlook, um, you know, maybe for guys on the Ignite team, they they do like like Kaminga and those guys uh, who have a chance to to lock in their draft stock. But uh, I think the biggest thing is like the NBA is going to need depth. We we've already seen it. There, there are rumblings that they might add an 18th roster spot, and those spots would be coming from G League guys almost almost exclusively, probably. Um, so a lot a lot of reasons to to run it. it I'm really looking forward to it too. Um, you know, 15 games in 25 days for the 905 is a little much. But uh, only four of them overlap with the Raptors, so it's uh, as far as our purposes, it's it's pretty nice. Yeah, and, and since you mentioned the Ignite team, how much do you think the you know the Ignite team being around um, factored into the NBA making the decision to run the bubble? 
hundred percent. It is uh, the reason. Uh, like I, I know that teams like the Raptors, who who value the the G League, were pushing for it in some form, no matter what. But the ignite is where the money is that they have to. Um, you know, they invested so much in those guys and those programs, and, and that's a longer term investment for the league than just this year in this class of players. Um, they need that to work out, and, and they and a big part of that is getting these guys on the court and, and getting. NBA eyeballs on them and showing to potential um, recruits and to the 30 NBA teams that this is a worthwhile um, path and a worthwhile experiment. So uh, I think that was definitely the the driving force. There's, there's just a lot of money there. And I think it's going to be great for, you know, if you're a fringe guy on the 905, if you're Alizé Johnson, who was, you know, in camp battling for a roster spot, and you've had two years as, as one of the top guys in the G league, you know, maybe, NBA teams don't see you put up 20 and 10 from the wing on a random February evening in the G League. Now you do that in the bubble or against the Ignite team, and suddenly there, there's five or six extra scouts who, you know, just happen to be there and see you, and their eyebrows are raised a little bit. It's like, oh, that that's a guy. It's kind of the, you know, the draw of Summer League for so many guys is that, uh, you know, scouts are there for a lot of guys who have a spot, um, but it's a good chance to show up. Yeah, and I have that February 13th, I think it is, game against the Ignite team yeah. uh, circled on my calendar. I think, I don't know if that's one of the, I, I know there's a bunch of like 11 a.m. games. I don't think that's one of them. I hope not. I'll tell you in uh, one second. That is a, what is it, the 13th? I think that so, That is yeah. a 7 p.m. game. Perfect. Perfect. Right. Otherwise, and, no, no, and no Raptors that night either. Awesome. Awesome. Because my, my work productivity, and if anybody from work is watching, <laughs> it, it might it might suffer a little bit during those uh, during, during those early uh, uh, Raptors nine oh five games. Some people look at me crazy when I say that I watch a Raptors nine oh five man. Like they're they're down the street from me. Um, like I'm not far from Paramount. So like going to those games, I remember going to the to the finals game. Um, th- th- it was it was great, and then getting the ring the next year. I think it was at the opener. Like I still have that ring, and like everybody's like, "What, what do you need it for?" It's it's just cool to have. Yeah, and the games are fun, and they're like you know, a little better price point than, than the Raptors, especially if you're coming with a family. And then, you know, it's a little more intimate to where I think, especially for people with kids um, who, you know, it becomes a couple hundred dollars of a night to go to a Raptors game. Uh, it's a little more kind of family friendly for, from that perspective. It's, it's great, man. I mean, you know, I, I'm at those games all the time whenever the Raptors schedule allows um, and I'll be watching these ones. It's uh, and, and like, I know people still kind of, there is still a little bit of a stigma is not the right word, but um, underappreciation for the G league. And like Fred Van Vliet just dropped 54 points in a game, man. Like yeah. stop acting like you're above this or it doesn't matter. It's it matters. Yeah, no, I, 100%. And that's the thing about development leagues or junior leagues. Like sometimes, you know, people end up being like an NBA fan or an MLB fan versus the actual sports fan, right? Like for me, it, it, it's a great outing. And like Ron, I live pretty close to Paramount. So, uh, I mean, watching uh, the nine to five games, even like I saw Connor McDavid play when he was like a 16 year old, right? Against the Steelheads. It, it's a lot of fun. It's a good family environment outing. Yeah. One of my favorites was, uh, so I, I grew up in, in Cambridge, which is like the Kitchener area. And after, I can't remember if I was back from university. I forget the exact years, but my dad and I went to like a Kitchener Rangers London Knights game. And that was when Nazem Kadri was on the Knights and the Leafs had picked him. So it was like getting to go watch a Leaf a year early. It's the same kind of thing with, with the 905 now. 
um, where, you know, I mean, obviously it's in a bubble this year, so you can't, but normally like Malachi and Jalen would be down there. And like on a random night, you might get Paul Watson or Utah who is, you know, now in the rotation, you know, a little bit about more about these guys. You feel a little bit more of an attachment. You know, there's a, there's a Fred Van Vliet and a Norman Powell and a Pascal Siakam 905 bobblehead floating around somewhere. That's probably a collector's item now. The, the the biggest thing that that upset me was when they uh when they took the um um uh, what do you call it the the showcase when they took the yeah. G showcase away from Mississauga and they moved it to Vegas because I remember going two years in a row and you'd see like Alan Houston walking around I think Charles Oakley was there uh, it, was, it was great even Fred showed up to one of those games because Cleanthony yeah. Early was playing oh uh, yeah, yeah his I old Wichita that. State teammate and, and Early was trying to make it back to the NBA at this point so you'd see even stuff like that uh, I really like those two man those those were great. Uh, I don't. I can't say I, I blame the NBA for moving a winter tournament from Mississauga to Las Vegas, but uh, <laughs> you know it sucks for us. Yeah, it, it definitely does. So since you mentioned uh, Watanabe as well, um, like I, I just wanted to pick your brain on uh, j- just a few things on him. Like I, I love watching him play. Like when, when we signed him, I, I thought it was it was a great move. Like you know there was there was no risk involved. I wasn't sure he was going to make the roster. I thought maybe he'd be a two way guy. Um, do you think him like his his role on the team right now is that is that a case of just him being in that role because the team isn't so great, or do you think if we were you know a few more a few games over five hundred that he would he could be in that role in that type of team? Yeah, I mean it depends how it would have happened, right? Where if if they don't get off to that two and eight start and some of the guys who got chances before him played really well, then yeah, maybe he doesn't get that chance because guys ahead of him are playing well. But um, you know the poor start did just about everyone has gotten a chance. Right. And, um, you know, that's one of the, one of the reasons that this stuff matters and why we break down the camp battles, because these guys could end up in a, in a roster situation. You know, we didn't know if Fred Van Vliet was going to make the roster in 2016. Um, so these things do kind of matter or not kind of matter. They do matter. So, uh, with Watanabe, he, he was an interesting case because he's kind of like my favorite class of G league player to study where, he, for my money, was one of the top 20 players in the G League each of the last two years. He's really good, knows his role on offense, versatile defensively, very, very smart player. But he didn't have, like a guy like him, what's the one skill that's getting him onto an NBA roster, right? Like it, it's kind of the Malcolm Miller problem in the last couple of years of this guy's solid. You know, he can play good, good defense at three positions and he can knock down some threes. But like, what is getting him on the floor? And, you know, for Paul Watson last year, it was suddenly this guy's bombing seven or eight threes a game at 40%. Uh, and that makes the rest of his stuff play up. For, for Utah, it was more, you know, what is his offensive identity to, to allow that defense? And, and there were some questions about whether his defense would translate. Um, but he's so smart and, and kind of slinky around screens. And, and um, he has such a good spatial awareness with like where players are moving and where the ball's coming off and stuff. Um, I didn't have much doubt with that. The the big thing is going to be, you know, he he is barely shooting the ball still. And the Raptors are winning those minutes, and, and that's that's great. But at some point, you know, it's the it's the old Patrick McCaw thing of, you know, when defenses get that figured out, you know, are you gonna have to do a little bit more? And he's gonna get tested on that as the as the weeks go. Um, you know, can he put on the floor a little bit? Um, can he you know, shooting 40% on his threes right now. Can he do that over a larger sample if they're leaving him open? Uh, those are the next kind of questions for him. And it's, you know, the Raptors could be in a tough spot where those are the same questions you ask about 
McCaw if he gets healthy and DeAndre Bembry if he's in the rotation and Stanley Johnson. So it's uh, they do have a lot of these kind of defense first guys who are comfortable with the ball in their hands a little bit, but aren't um, natural scoring threats uh, within kind of a second unit offense if the offense isn't out and running. So um, that's kind of where I was at with Utah. I, I would have had Alizé Johnson a little ahead of him on the you know the odds sheet to make the roster, but I'm I really like Alizé Johnson. Um, and, and with him, to, you know, to kind of drive this point home, where to me, Alizé's one skill of what gets you in the door is rebounding. He's one of the best rebounding three fours that there are in the G League, and it's the same. You know, Alfonso McKinney got to the league on his offensive rebounding, and it was just like he was such a impactful transition player and offensive rebounder that um, you know that's the thing that gets you in the door. So with Utah, it was always you know what is that thing that gets you in the door and. You know, as it turned out, he didn't need that one thing. He just outplayed everyone all across the board in training camp. Sorry, that is way too long an answer. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, so actually, I just want to follow up. So uh, one of your recent articles um, I read was on Stanley Johnson, right? And uh, you call him, quote, unquote, like a redraft acquisition. Can you t- talk a little bit more about his growth? Because it's been like a couple of years now almost, and as well as, how does our, you know, Raptors uh, development philosophy jives in with that? Yeah, Stanley is almost like the the opposite of what I was just saying with Utah, where, you know, going back to when he was in high school, no one doubted that Stanley Johnson had the physical tools and the talent to get to the NBA. And he was, you know, I was very high on him in, in college. And, and I thought he'd, you know, be one of those guys who could come in and defend right away. And Detroit has not been the best of developmental spots over over the last couple of years and, and I think it took uh, a real adjustment period and maybe to get humbled a little bit for Stanley Johnson to get where you know you stop seeing yourself as a guy who's going to be a 15 16 20 point a game guy and you start thinking how do, what, what is my role going to be that um, helps me stay in the NBA uh, so for him it was like you know what got him to the show and what gets him a foot in the door there was never any question it's he's an NBA athlete with an NBA pedigree uh, for him, it was more, if I get this opportunity again, how do I change who I am? Like, like, and I don't want to, I don't want to over, be overdramatic about it, but like his usage rate is half of what it was last year. Like he, he has really changed who he is as an offensive player. Um, and I, I think that's great. I think it, I think that takes a lot on the the mental and psychological side and, and even just like habit breaking in a half court offense where, you know, Stanley likes taking those Kobe shots, man. He was at the he was at the Mamba Academy the other summer. He uh, he likes those long twos with the defender on him. So um, I think it was a matter of you know, there's probably some humbling there, and just you know, I don't know if you guys have read Nick Nurse's book, but I cited a passage in that Stanley Johnson article where Nick talking about an unnamed guy who is very clearly Stanley Johnson was basically like, look, man, if you don't do the smaller things that we're asking you to do. Like, I don't know if you have a career anymore. Uh, and I think that that's taken hold. Yeah. And, and I, I, that's gotta be for, for a guy like Stanley, Stanley Johnson with that pedigree and, and with that, with that reputation, it's gotta be one of the most difficult adjustments to make as a player. Like you're used to playing one way for, I mean, I'm sure since he was a, a young kid and to have to change your game completely and buy into the, the, the team construct that, that can't be easy. No, this guy scored 86 in an OVO league game. Like, like no joke, he scored 86 in a in a summer pickup game. So uh, it probably does take a lot. And, and that's, you know, this is sometimes a difference 
watching the G League closely the last couple of years, like, you know, for some guys on the fringe, and, and I know Stanley had the benefit of like being a high draft pick. So he's coming down to the G League fringe instead of coming up. And I think that's maybe a little easier. You know, we saw Justin Anderson get a couple shots last year and he's similar in a similar place. Um, but I think, you know, that's a big challenge for a lot of these guys. And, you know, I, I remember a quote from Jama Malalela, who coached the 905 the last couple of years and is now back on the Raptors bench. And he said, he was honest, he's like, there's really not that much difference between guys 13 to 17 on the roster and the top one or two guys on each G League team. Like, there's not a huge gap between those guys. So what can make the difference is, you know, how do you fit in a role that's going to translate to the NBA? And if you're, you know, it's something that Lorenzo Brown, who won a G League MVP, you know, that's what didn't click for him. And he's a very, very good international player now. And I'm glad he got a couple shots in the NBA, but like that was a guy who was using 35% of offensive possessions in the G league. Um, you know, Jordan McRae is another guy who just dominated the G league uh, back when it was the D league. And it just like, it didn't click because the only way he could play his game was, was to get those shots. And it's, you know, that's the difference I think between a guy's next phase being going and scoring 40 points a game in China or going and, you know, scoring 15 a game in Euro league or, you know, playing five minutes a game in the NBA. And those are, those are all worthwhile paths and they're all going to get you paid. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of that is just, can, can you mold your game to uh, to a smaller role? Cause the uh, NBA teams are not going to the G league to look for 30 points, right? They're, they're looking for guys 13, 14, 15. Yeah. And I can't remember which X player it was that said it. Somebody, somebody made mention of, or it might've been the current player where, scoring 20 to 30 points in the G league is great, but that's not what the NBA team is going to need you to do. So when you get there, you have to be able to buy into whatever your role is. Right. And it's hard. It makes scouting the G league hard too, where like, you know, you guys remember O'Shea's great stretch with the Raptors last year. He wasn't playing well with the nine Oh five before that. I was very surprised to see him get that opportunity, but he was a guy who just like that, he understood his NBA role and he was just like, I'm going to defend and rebound and run. And then when he went back down to the G League, he had all the confidence in the world that he played so much better. Um, you know, some guys that that clicks for. And I, I think this is this is part of kind of the black box of, of player development that you look at the stat line or, or you watch a G League game. And obviously none of us can watch all the G League games and all the NBA games. Um, but you pay attention to that stuff and, and the odd guy clicks and the odd guy doesn't. And sometimes there isn't a great on obvious on-court reason christian wood's a great example um who is just like killing it now and he put up numbers in the d league for like four or five years and he was either not getting shots or they were like non-guaranteed shots and he wasn't like i think he was on milwaukee's roster for 100k guaranteed and then got waived and claimed the raptors won him for a two-way at one point but he didn't want to do a two-way and this is a guy who every time he went down was like 25 12 and 3 every game um but he had, it took him a really long time to figure out, you know, how can I reach, how can I take all this immense talent and apply it in 10 minutes a game off the bench? And now obviously he's putting up big numbers, but he wouldn't be able to put up these big numbers if he hadn't like figured out how to just be a bench guy in Detroit first. So, um, you know, it's kind of the, like I said, it's the black box of player development where this is where, you know, getting to know players and getting to be around them. Like, this is why, there's a value on having a good G league system. I think is you get to know these things about guys um, and, and you maybe have a better shot at guessing who's going to translate and who isn't. 
do you are, are you for the the idea of using the ignite team uh, rather than the NCAA route? Do you think like do you think it will one day replace uh, like entirely replace the NCAA or do you think it'll kind of work hand in hand? Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say hand in hand. Uh, I'm mostly in favor of the ignite because anything that takes away from the NCAA is okay by me. Um, you know, I think it's great that guys have more options. I thought it was cool when guys were going to Australia or Brandon Jennings going that route. Um, the more options, the better. And I don't think, I think college is probably great for some guys. And I think the opportunity to use your skill to make money right away, uh, whether for yourself or for your family or, or because you don't want to give free labor to the NCAA, like any of those reasons, it's good to have options. So um, I don't know if the Ignite path will ever replace the NCAA, like where the NBA is like, oh, we're getting rid of one and done, but you have to play a G League season first. Uh, you know, I could see it in the next CBA expanding to maybe where, you know, hey, there's not, there's a third round of the draft. You don't have to do a year of college. And there are a couple extra, you know, not two way roster spots, but closer to like what baseball and hockey do, where like you can have a prospect in the D League off your roster for a little longer and they make more than, you know, a living wage, which you know, is kind of the next hurdle for the D League. I, I often think about, you know, the early, I guess, early 2000s, late 90s where you saw a lot of those, you know, really good athletes coming out of high school, but maybe didn't have a polished game. It would have been interesting to see how some of these guys would have worked out in, in this kind of a structure where, you know, they would have been able to play like Kwame Brown, for instance, like, mm-hmm. you know, he was kind of just thrown into it and kind of said, you know, figure it out and expected to perform. But you know, that, that doesn't always work for everybody. Yeah. And to keep it closer to home, like Amir Johnson took a couple of years, like the, like the Raptors scooped him up because the Pistons were kind of giving up on him because he was at a high school and like, a high school big needs time to physically mature. Um, so I, I think that's a great point. I think even like a Bruno, uh, you know, if you have the 905 in place a year earlier, maybe the Bruno thing plays out differently, right? So um, I don't think it's going to be universal. Like, obviously, there are only uh, so many spots in the NBA, right? Like, like if if Kwame's better or Amir's good earlier or whatever, um, or, or Bruno's still kicking around, that takes a spot from someone else and, and it just kind of shifts who's not making it elsewhere. Um, but I do think that, you know, the, the idea of being forced to go to college, like kind of artificially um, where you're not paid for your labor is just like, it's, it's a bad system. So whether it's Ignite, whether it's the Australian league, whether it's, you know, ditching the one and done uh, I'm in favor of all that. So moving on from the G league, cause I, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are kind of like, how are these guys talking so much about the G league? But there have been some rumors going around about, about Masai again. Uh, and the possibility of him going to the Wizards. It's, I, I think it's ridiculous, but is like there can't be any truth to this, can there? I mean, I think there's truth the way the report was worded that the Wizards would love to get Masai. It's like, yeah, of course, organizations want to get a top executive. That's that's always my response to this stuff is like, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's it. It's bad organization wants good executive. It's not all that surprising, and I don't put much stock into it. it it's, awkward and it sucks that Messiah hasn't signed an extension yet. Um, but I don't think that like, I don't think that that is smoke. I think either it's the wizards trying to maybe convince Bradley Beal to stay or, or maybe it's a, uh, you know, Messiah's camp leaking for a little bit of leverage at the finish line of extension talks. I don't know, but it's not, you know, Messiah's not going to go to the Washington tomorrow, right? He's a, uh, every bad team should want Messiah in there. Every good team should want Messiah too. 
Yeah, I, I mean, th- I guess that's kind of how 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 we looked at it. But I mean, you never know. Um, it, I, I guess the, it, there could be some truth, but I, I seriously doubt it. I, I, I I'm, I'm hoping that he stays here. I, I, like I don't know what he what his future holds, but I mean, selfishly, I mean, obviously, I think we all hope that he uh, he stays with the club. Yeah, that would be preferable for sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't, don't want to go back to covering the the Colangelo era type of team. Hey, I you know. I, I might be one of the only guys, but I used to work for the Raptors and I was the, I was the flag guy who would run out ahead of the team. Nice. And that was, it was that era. So as, as much as, you know, people look at that and, and kind of like scoff at it. Like I, I loved it because I was, I was there. I still think Bargnani today would be much better than Bargnani, uh, you know, during his time here, you might not agree, but I, I, th- I think he was ahead of his time. I think the the dirty secret about Bargnani was he wasn't actually that good a shooter. Shot like 35% for his career. You want me to get excited about dropping a, a guy who shoots like Aaron Baines percentages back into the NBA? Um, you know, I, I don't know. He probably would have been a little bit better because they would have had him just shoot like eight or nine of those a game. Um, but yeah, I don't have a lot of faith that he would have been uh, been able to stay on the floor any more defensively or anything like that. So speaking of poor shooters, uh, our our third host has actually joined us. So we're we're going to add him into the mix. Pramit, Hello. thank you for uh, thanks for joining us. We're we're just talking about bad Hello. shooters and, and how much I love Barnani. <laughs> well, uh, I just caught the tail end of that. Hi, Blake. Nice to meet you. Hey, man. Yeah, I mean, I think to to your point about the thirty five percent, very true. Although I think at that time there weren't a lot of centers that could even attempt to shoot so that was probably where the enamorment where we got all a lot of people got enamored by him i mean now it's uh almost a requirement unless you're just an elite defender or a rim protector but back then it was like oh my god a seven footer that can shoot it turned out that he stunk at everything at other aspects of the game so <laughs> yeah that'd be the tough thing right it's like can he yeah, even if he was a better shooter and was shooting at volume can he stay on the floor and uh you know as much as the game has modernized with the centers out at the three-point line, he would have to defend that also, which, uh, you know, might, you might end up a net negative dropping him into 2020. And rebounding remains a priority as well. Yeah, and I mean, is he going to is he gonna try a little harder? Is he going to, you know, care a little bit more about the game? I don't know. It's, uh... Like I said, I, I have fond memories because I was there. I, I, was, I was completely drinking the, the Colangelo Kool-Aid. I believed anything that guy was selling. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing was like, as a, as someone coming up as a blogger at the time, like he made so many transactions all the time. It was beautiful. It was a great, great way for me to get experience. Man, I, I was sold that Jamario Moon was going to be the savior. He was good. I'm still, I'm still bitter that he took Carl English's spot that year. We're <laughs> yeah, uh, supposed to have a Canadian on the team, but we got Jamario instead. Yeah. Um, so since we're talking about, about centers, I, I think it's probably a good opportunity to talk about um, the center situation and, and just looking at what, I mean, Baines has been playing a lot better lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, would this team be in a, any different position if if we had Ibaka and Gasol or either like one of them? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, you look at, obviously Ibaka has been a little better so far. Um weirdly the the Raptors have been worse on defense than expectation. Uh, so maybe you're missing Gasol a little bit more there than you are on offense. Um, but I think, you know, 
you look at Siakam's struggles in particular, uh, and obviously he's been a little better lately, uh, but the spacing issues with him and Baines are, are a part of that. And the Siakam-Gasol pairing was always a little more effective than the Siakam-Abaka pairing. But even just having someone who can knock down those elbow jumpers, who who can create his own shot, like I think a guy like Abaka would help the offense breathe a little bit more. And, and um, you know, Gasol was obviously – you hear the guys, you hear Nick Nurse and Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet talk a lot about defensive communication or just like being on the same page – and those kind of platitudes. And that's such a Gasol thing where uh, Gasol even talked about it when he got to LA It's just like, you gotta, it takes a while to learn your teammates tendencies and not just the schemes, you know, how long does it take? How, how many, like, can you, can you cheat a half step late on a Kyle Lowry help? Cause he's going to bump his guy around a screen or do you have to be there a little earlier for Norman Powell because he doesn't recover as well as Fred Van Bleet? Those kind of questions, it takes a little bit of time and it's not even something that, I don't know how much you can even verbalize it, or it's just you got to play with guys for a little bit, uh, and that's especially true at the at the center position. I think where you're you're kind of the communication anchor as well. So uh, nice to see Baines playing a, a little better. I don't think the I don't think this will be the last time we talk about you know what do the Raptors do at the center spot, um, especially if you look ahead to like different potential playoff matchups. There are going to be some series that are Baines series and some series that are not super Baines series. So. Um, the more reliable he can look, the the better. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're if they're in a, a trade situation where they're not selling. Um, you know, I I would certainly be addressing that in some way, um, even if it's just a depth thing. If if I had if I had to put a gun to your head, it, it, like are are we going to end up like at a at a four or five seed and and maybe end up in the second round, or do you not see that? I mean, you could just ask me without putting a gun to my head. I would, I would answer you without, the, uh, without the threat. You gotta yeah. be. I have to throw in the threat. I have to. Just yeah, me. I don't, I don't know about four or five. Um, I guess Indy could come back down. Uh, you know, I do, I do think six will probably end up with where they are now. Um, what are they? They're in ninth, and they're a game and a half out of six. Like that's that's totally reasonable as a goal. That keeps you out of the play-in game. Um, which means you at least get a, a, a real series out of it. Um, and it's not like there's going to be a good landing spot in the first round anyway, right? Like, like Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, um, two outside, oh, Brooklyn. Uh, none of those teams are going to be easy spots. And even if you could get to the four seed, like there's no such thing as home court advantage for the Raptors this year. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess kind of six has settled into my head as the – as the target if you can avoid the play-in game i think given you started two and eight that that's a bit of a that's i guess that's where i had them at the beginning of the year i had them about six in that sort of same level as indie like i didn't think i thought i always felt this as a i don't want to call it a rebuild year but a transition year i mean losing the two centers but at least having enough a good enough team remaining and some younger pieces that can grow and develop and obviously an exceptional coach would get them, keep them competitive in the East. Uh, I mean, that's still very feasible. I don't think we saw anybody saw a two and eight start and then (laughs) followed up by a seven and four since, and they have a positive point differential, uh, if that means anything. So, I mean, craziest thing other than that Boston game, they were very much in or had leads in the third, fourth quarter in 
I think almost all their games except the Boston game, I believe. Yeah, and that doesn't mean some of them haven't been disappointing. Like, I thought the last Sacramento game was probably the most frustrated I'd been all season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you're looking ahead, um, point differential is a better predictor of, of your record the rest of the way than than your record is. So, you know, this is maybe a team that should be, you know, 11 and 10 instead of 9 and 12 on, on merit or whatever. And obviously, you know, that doesn't – that's not an excuse. Like, you lost those games. But if you're trying to figure out – you know, are you downgrading this team to bad team or to average team? I think it's a lot closer to average team than bad team um, with some potential for them to still be, be fairly good. So um, I had them a little higher in the East heading into the year. I, I thought, I I just thought Brooklyn would take a little longer and I didn't know that they were going to get James Harden. So I thought, you know, that might be a, a longer thing coming along. And I just didn't think the Raptors would start two and eight. And, uh, you know, it's not like they're, everything's still so tight in the East. So it's not even... I mean, Cleveland and the Knicks are killing it. It's uh, Things are going to change. Maybe not for Cleveland. The Knicks will change. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's been disappointing. But I, I don't I don't feel too much differently about, like, where this team is in general. Like, I think before the year I would have said, yes, they win a playoff series. And now I'd lean toward no. But we're still talking, if they can get the five or six seed, we're, we're talking a pretty close series and, and a pretty fun one anyway. Yeah, so I, I don't want to take too much more of your time, Blake. So just just a, a couple of questions, a couple yeah. more questions. Um, I, I know you said like on on non Raptor game days, you're you're still pretty much locked in, which I mean makes sense as a as an NBA writer. But who who are you watching? Who's your favorite? Like who's your league pass team? Yeah, I mean I joked about Cleveland earlier, but Cleveland's been a ton of fun, which is uh, a surprise. Um, Memphis is always high on my on my league pass rankings. Like I know they're kind of the unofficial team of of NBA draft Twitter and. and Post trade, they were the unofficial second team of Raptors Twitter. So um, they're one. The Kings at the start were good, but they just keep, they do so much Kings stuff that, like, I love watching De'Aaron Fox and Halliburton, but they, there's a little too much Kings going on at times there. I, I think, so I think Cleveland's been my surprise one, and Memphis is like always a good standby. Um, Phoenix is a really good league pass team uh, that I'll try to check out. I, I like, catching OKC where I can. And tonight's a good example of that against a, a hot Houston team. Um, one, because of Shea and Dort. Uh, two, OKC's aesthetic is just really pleasing to me. Like I love those kind of Spurs Fiesta colors that they have. Uh, and then also you get to see Poku be so bad, but so fun. Um, um, where like he, this is absolutely the right play. They should be giving him every opportunity to fail, but it's uh, it's at least a little funny in the interim where like he just does not understand NBA basketball yet, uh, and you see all the potential there. But it's uh, it's entertaining in the wrong direction for now. Hmm. And then, the Rockets. Um, sorry to cut you off, Ron. Because no, they right. remind me very much about like kind of like OKC last year. Like they ended up outperforming expectations, fun to watch, played together, but obviously a team that is in a transition. I mean, Christian Wood has been fantastic. Uh, now, what are your thoughts? Do you think they can get into the playoffs this year? Uh, I think that they will eventually uh, crumble under the bad karma of cutting Bruno. I'm still holding <laughs> it against them. I, I don't. You need you need a guy like that on the team to make a deep run. And I'm sorry to uh, Broderick Thomas and Kenya Martin Jr., but I don't know if they're as good a 15th man as, as Bruno. So that's my that's my concern with them. I also think. You know, as good as they've been, and you obviously have Wood, Oladipo, Wall, and Gordon. Like you're not, you're not far off from being a playoff roster. 
Um, it might make sense for them still to to look to sell with pieces like PJ Tucker or, or if they can find a market for Eric Gordon. Just you know, you deal hard and you got to look a little longer term now. So uh, I, a question about the draft, and I'm going to leave the gun holstered for this question. I'm not going to pull the gun out and put it to your head this time. Uh, between Mobley, uh, Suggs, and uh, Cunningham, who are you? Who are you taking first, or is there somebody else that you're uh, that you're grabbing with the number one pick? No, I, I have I have Kate as a number one, and I don't think there's much question. I think if you if you're like pipe dreaming the Raptors to get that pick, he's such a good compliment to Fred Van Vliet too. Like if they fell out of the, it fell into the lottery by the end of the year. But I just think Cade, you know, the the other thing too is you watch that team, and he's got a couple of teammates around him where the spacing's not good and the decision making is poor, and, and he's still kind of guiding them. And there was a game last weekend that was a great example of it. And I think he's kind of the typical guy where you project his game and suddenly you're around better players and in an NBA, in a pro style offense. And I think he gets even better with better players around him. Like uh, Moncrief, the Canadian kid, like I think he's some, someone to watch down the line and I hope he works out really well. But right now, like he kind of like they have a couple guys that just aren't there yet. And, And very few college players are on Cade's level. Um, but I, I just say that to mean that I think he's going to be an even better NBA guy than he is college guy. I, I really like Mobley too. I think he's a super unique center. I, I think if you get him at number two, you're you're thrilled that you got a number one caliber guy at number two. Um, you know, some of the names after that, especially the Ignite guys, you know, I want to see Kaminga and Green before I decide between those guys and Suggs or Scotty Barnes or, or Jalen Johnson or, or whoever, you know, ends up making up that next tier. I, I want to see a little bit more of them. Um, full disclosure, I don't I don't get to watch a ton of college basketball during the NBA season. Uh, you know, it's more casual viewing on, on the weekends, and I'll try to catch, uh, you know, the Canadian. The nice thing about watching Kate is you get to see Moncrief, um, and then Gonzaga, you you get Nembard too. So um, you, you get some Canadians in good spots that way. But uh, usually, usually I'm playing a little bit of catch up after the NBA season between the the Raptors when they're done and the draft. And uh, so I, I did mention we talk wrestling a little bit. So I'm a big Bullet Club guy. Uh, okay. So I, I haven't full disclosure. I haven't watched New Japan uh, probably since pre pandemic. Okay. Um, AEW kind of has uh, you know replaced my New Japan watching. Uh, but who's your favorite Bullet Club leader? Ooh, that's, uh, I mean, I will go Finn because that is when I first like started watching, uh, New Japan. And I just think he's kind of the, I mean, I just think that's like what the, the Bullet Club was originally intended to be was like that, um, kind of level of of cool, um, dickishness to them. Right. And, And I think, you know, some of the Bullet Club Civil War stuff has dragged on a little too long. Yeah. The evil move didn't really do it for me. You know, I really like Jay White, but, uh, you know, it's it's hard to have your, like, breakout year during a pandemic, right? It's, it's uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, I'd go with Finn probably. You know, Kenny's the, the guy who was at the top during kind of my formative New Japan years. Um, but, yeah, the, the Finn years, I think, hold up the best. AJ was cool too, but... All of them, basically, except the current iteration is, I guess, what I'm saying. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think Finn is probably the the one I think of the most when I'm like, oh, what when was Bullet Club the coolest? I I, I completely agree. I just put uh, I put Kenny at the top just because he's Canadian. So 
Yeah, you know, there you he's, go. he's got it for me. Um, that's, that's why we got to be so happy about Edge winning the Rumble too, right? That's, uh, which was my next question. Uh, like, how did you feel about that? Did you great. see it coming? He briefly lived in Cambridge, Ontario, uh, which is where I'm from. So that's uh, that puts us on the map even further. Uh, his tag team partner, Christian, the, the second best outport for, uh, export from Kitchener after Jamal Murray. You know, it's, uh, it's great to see those guys back in that spot. I didn't. I only saw um, the men. I've been meaning to go back and watch the women's rumble. I heard it was good, but because the Raptors played, uh, I only got to see the men's one. Um, I thought it was fine. I don't know. I, I'm pretty checked out on WWE right now, but the rumble's always fun. Yeah, yeah. Same with me. I mean, uh, I'd rather him. I'd rather see him fight McIntyre, I think, than than Roman. But uh, I mean, either I, I don't know that anyone really moves the needle for me. Yeah, just as long as they don't do Orton again. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Poor, poor Edge comes back every every time he comes back from injury. It's just a couple matches with Orton and back on the shelf. That was a hot feud in 2006 or 2004, yeah. 2004 and five. That was a hot yeah. match. Maybe not now. Well, they had a good match last year. So yeah, sure. The, uh, the greatest wrestling match uh, as they build it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, guys, you guys, you have any last questions for for Blake? Uh, just one question, just a uh, general NBA related, uh, Blake, um, if you can quickly, uh, if you want to answer. So recently there was a report, I think Sportico mentioned that the NBA has reached, uh, agreed on a framework for private equity firms to come in and start, uh, you know, taking ownership of certain franchises, right? Uh, I think uh, in uh, each can own up to, like even investment firms can own up to a certain percentage how how do you see this playing out? Private equity firms usually don't are not very known for spend, right? I mean that they come in with a certain objective in mind, and we know that valuations have gone crazy. So owners would like to cash out some of it. So you see why there's interest. Yeah, it's, it's it's tough. And to be honest, we don't have you know enough detail yet to really know from the league side what that might look like. Uh, you know, I would have a little bit of worry about it, just in terms of like you said, if. The focus is the bottom line. You know, we see in baseball a lot lately what that looks like. Um, the NBA has the benefit, at least, of there's a salary floor. So, um, you know, it's not like they can come in and Tampa Bay raise it where they they bottom out the salary altogether. But there are a lot of non-salary cap ways you can, you can cut back and try to strip the value out. Um, you know, I think from a more investment side, it's interesting because, like, are we at the top of the bubble for franchise valuations? Like, if you could have bought a team for 300 million 15 years ago and now you it's going to cost you 2 billion like is that really going to go up higher in the streaming age and as ratings decline a little bit at least until we can kind of capture the streaming i don't know if that's you know i don't know if this is the top of the bubble or or what so i, I get why they want to cash out um you know if you're an owner that's seen your biggest asset inflate in value so much but you can't actually like that's not liquid at all unless you can sell a chunk of it Uh, I totally get it, but I would be very hesitant to, I mean, even the Raptors operate under MLSE, which is, um, you know, luckily there's, there's a cohesive board there and Larry Tannenbaum's kind of there to steward everything. Um, You know, and Philly's a similar thing with Josh Harris kind of acting as in, in the Tannenbaum role, but yeah, I'd be a little worried if it went too far in that direction. So hopefully there is, you know, I don't want to put too many restrictions on the free market or whatever, but like there, hopefully there's some sort of cap where, uh, you know, it's not just this like faceless fund that's, um, you know, determining ticket prices and uh, roster acquisitions based on, you know, purely a dollar thing. Uh, there's already a, there's already a Tillman Fertitta. We don't need uh, we don't need oh, anyone else. God, that guy. 
<laughs> she's worth an episode in itself. So yeah. here's a question. Do you think Toronto will ever get a WNBA team? Man, I hope so. Um, so I, I know that the WNBA feels that their focus right now, and this was pre-pandemic, but it'll be even more the case after the pandemic. Um, their focus is on the teams that they have and making sure that's healthy and, and not overexpanding. Uh, but I think the talent pool is there. I think obviously you look at the growth of talent in Canadian basketball and that's happened just as much on the women's side as the men's side. And they've had even more success at the international level. Um, they're, they're, you know, usually in a mix for a top four finish at every major tournament. So, um, you know, it's not hard to look and see Kia and Natalie and, um, you know, Bridget and, and all these other uh, talents who, who could certainly, you know, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be the Canadian all-star team, but you get one or two of those and you're going to move tickets. And, and I think you look at the enrollment rates in youth sport and, and basketball's growing uh, for either gender um, or, or for all youth, I, I should say. Um, I, I think it would be great. I, I think the WNBA focusing on the, the health of the teams they have now makes sense. Uh, but if they decide at some point to push to 19 or 20 or whatever the number is, uh, I would have to think Toronto's high at the top of the list. Yep. You also have, you know, you could just work it right in with, with 905 or, or at the Marley's facility or whatever. You, you've got, um, you know, you have the infrastructure for sure with MLSE. And the market. And there's yeah. no better way to get an influx of cash into a league than to have a nice, hefty expansion fee. Oh, yeah. You just wait for the NBA post-pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Return of the Supersonics. Let's go. Oh, Damn, that would be amazing. That would be... I don't know if they'll go with that name, but I would be surprised if Seattle doesn't have a team in the or next just Seattle's seven, eight years. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Blake, I, I know you got some games to watch, but uh, honestly, thank you very much. We're forever in your debt. You got fans for life here. Um, tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Uh, plug, go ahead. Plug away. Yeah, I'm at Twitter uh, uh, at Blake Murphy ODC. You find all my work at The Athletic. Um, if you're not a subscriber there, uh, do it. But hit me up first because usually I got some promo code or link or something like that kicking around. So if you haven't signed up yet uh, and want to, just uh, my DMs are open or whatever. Um, yeah, and I hope everyone, you know, all the the viewers and the three of you are doing well through everything. I know things uh, there's a, there's real uh, pandemic fatigue right now in the dead of winter. So I hope you're all taking good care of yourselves. Yeah. This is wonderful. Uh, and yeah, there's some great content on Athletic. So absolutely. Yeah, we, all, we all are subscribers and we're all big fans. You're not doing the, the Will Lou thing and you guys are all sharing one login though, right? We we can't confirm or uh, deny that. That's, that. That wouldn't be very ethical. <laughs> <laughs> but again, thank you very much. And uh, everybody out there, if, if you're watching or listening for the first time, just make sure you uh, subscribe. Uh, Comment on our stuff on uh, on YouTube, on Instagram, at Boxing One Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, hit the little bell on YouTube to just to make sure you get anyone uh, like all of our content and subscribe on YouTube. And uh, thanks as always for listening.